Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Tuesday evening where we are set to continue our exploration into the book of Genesis. We are in chapter 32, and I, I know I was in the middle of a thought, really, when we had to uh, cut short our program. And so what I want to do is just really dive back into our study in chapter 32. And and for continuity purposes, I will go ahead and read verses 1 to 21 again. So if you can pull out your Bibles, turn to chapter 32, verses 1 to 21. I will read those verses and more or less pick up again where we left off as we were talking about this effort of Jacob to appease Esau. All right, verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. And when Jacob saw them, he said, This is God's army. So he called the name of that place Mahanaim. And Jacob sent messengers before him to Esau, his brother, in the land of Seir, the country of Edom, instructing them, Thus you shall say to my lord Esau, Thus says your servant Jacob, I have sojourned with Laban and stayed until now, and I have oxen, asses, flocks, men servants, and maidservants, and I have sent to tell my lord in order that I may find favor in your sight." And the messengers returned to Jacob, saying, We came to your brother Esau, and he is coming to meet you, and four hundred men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed, and he divided the people that were with him and the flocks and herds and camels into two companies, thinking, I love that, verse 8, thinking, if Esau comes to the one company and destroys it, then the company which is left, will escape. Verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who did say to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, and I will do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the steadfast love and all the faithfulness which thou hast shown to thy servant. For with only my staff I crossed this Jordan, and now I have become two companies. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he come and slay us all, the mothers with the children. But thou didst say, I will do you good and make your descendants as the sands of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. So he lodged there that night and took from what he had with him a present for his brother Esau, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, 30 milch camels and their colts, 40 cows and 10 bulls, 20 she-asses and 10 he-asses. These he delivered into the hand of his servants, every drove by itself, and said to his servants, Pass on before me, and put a space between drove and drove. He instructed the foremost, When Esau, my brother, meets you and asks you, To whom do you belong? Where are you going? And whose are these before you? Then you shall say, They belong to your servant Jacob. They are a present sent to my lord Esau, and moreover he is behind us. 
He likewise instructed the second and the third and all who followed the droves, You shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him, and you shall say, Moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. For he thought, I may appease him with the present that goes before me, and afterwards I shall see his face. Perhaps he will accept me. So the present passed on before him, and he himself lodged that night in the camp. All right, so where we left off more or less yesterday was that <laughs> even though 20 years had passed, Jacob's conscience came stalking, came pursuing him, right? Especially when he had heard that Esau was riding towards him with just a few men, no, 400 men, probably flashing back to that day when he tricked Esau, flashing back to that day when he tricked his father out of Esau's blessing. Oh, the many things that he was probably thinking about. Why? Because, well, remember what I said yesterday. Just as we might say how time flies by when we're having fun or, or time flies when we are in the presence of our beloved, I would also argue that time flies when we hold a grudge or moreover when we are in fear of something or someone. Fear, my friends, is an entrapment and it has the tendency to stop time at least metaphysically it might appear so at times and i think this is what is going on with esau why did he think what he was thinking well because he was in fear scripture makes that clear so there's this element of um fear that is tied to sin and guilt maybe we would like to think that if we just let our sin and guilt alone that over time it will just fade away. But brothers and sisters, before we can enjoy the peace and promises of God, what did we say yesterday? We've got to be reconciled with our brother or sister in Christ. That's what Jesus promises us, tells us, teaches us in chapter 5, verses 23 to 24. We have to confess our sins to God and, and seek the forgiveness of those who we have wronged. But what do we usually do when fear grips us? Well, we usually do what Jacob did. We rely on our own plans. You know, I suppose in a manner of speaking, we could say that Jacob, the schemer, is making progress. What do I mean? Well, he not only plans, but he also prays, right? He does pray. That prayer we read here, what, what is that? Verses, um, verses 9 to 12. Isn't it interesting here that Jacob is praying for protection, but not necessarily for understanding, huh? I have always said, after thy will be done, that's the great prayer, right? That the best prayer is always one of discernment, because really, that is the prayer of thy will be done. We say, thy will be done, echoing our Lord. And as we do, we then pray, Help me understand what I don't understand. Now, it's not wrong to pray in petition or intercession, but understanding, that's important. How is Jacob praying here? He's praying for protection, and to pray for protection isn't a bad thing, don't get me wrong. But I think here, my friends, he should have been praying for understanding. You see, his plans were not in response to waiting on God. In fact, 
Jacob's plan of dividing his people into two camps ignored God's provision of the camp of angels to protect him. I mean, think about that. God gives Jacob a camp of angels next to him. Why in the world does he find it necessary to break up his own camp into two camps? That doesn't make sense. In verse 1, Jacob encounters God's angels as he comes back to the borders of Canaan. It wasn't just one or two angels, my friends, but it was a whole regiment of angels, okay? And they camped right next to him. It should have shown Jacob that Almighty God was what? Guarding him. Why did he need to pray for protection? His prayer was already answered. <laughs> right? I mean, think about it. I mean, imagine someone about to besiege your, your house. And you are aware that a whole camp of angels are next door. What's the point of praying for protection? Unless there was a lack of trust. So much fear and so much distrust did Jacob have of God that he still felt the need to pray to God for protection when God had already given him protection. Again, <laughs> the regiment of angels should have shown Jacob that Almighty God was already protecting him, guarding him. Jacob names this place two camps, referring to his little camp and to God's camp of angels. That's what we read. But when Jacob hears of Esau and his men marching towards him, he panics. And again, he divides his own group into two camps. It's interesting. The Hebrew there in verse 7, Mahat Naim, it's repeated. That exact repetition is actually highlighting that Ultimately, what Jacob's doing is putting his plan before God's plan. What we have in chapter 32, verse 7, is Jacob thinking that if Esau attacks one camp, the other might be able to escape. But again, he's forgetting about God's camp of angels, and he's substituting his own two camps for God's two camps. That's the point. With God's two camps, the angels and Jacob's, Jacob was perfectly safe. But now, with Jacob's two-camp plan, there was a major flaw. It left God out. It left God out. And this is what we do, I think, in other ways far too often. And I just think this is a huge lesson to learn from these series of verses. And I would also say, in reflecting upon this, we begin to get a sense of why Jacob was wrestling with the angel. We try to interpret Jacob wrestling with the angel, one of those very difficult passages to interpret, minus the preceding 21 verses. You can't do that. It's impossible to understand. That's not the way God wanted us to interpret sacred scripture. Remember, just as a footnote, <laughs> that in the Bible... We did not have chapters and verses until the 12th century, okay? When the monks were, were translating and transcribing, better said, the Bible, and they put chapters and verses in there, well, for, for the most part, for convenience. And yeah, it works. It's easy to say 
Genesis chapter 32, verse 21, as opposed to word, you know, 5,633. That just doesn't work, right? So we have chapters and verses. It's convenient. But the problem is we have the tendency to come to the end of a chapter, and while typically that episode might naturally end at the end of a chapter, it's still very difficult to fully understand the subsequent chapter without an understanding of the preceding chapter. So we read, what, chapter 32, verses 22 and following, where the narrative with the angel wrestling with Jacob picks up, and we don't understand it. But oh, to read the first 21 verses and really the preceding chapters is to begin to get a sense of why Jacob would have found himself wrestling with an angel. And I would argue, in my own humble opinion, it has something to do with Jacob's two-camp plan. All right, what else here? Well, what we could say in the light of what I was just talking about is that the expected result of Jacob's plan also shows that it wasn't the Lord's plan, right? When Jacob had God's two camps, he was perfectly safe. No one could have gotten past an army of angels to touch Jacob, to touch his family, or to touch his possessions. But when Jacob traded God's two camps for his own two camps, the best he could hope for was that one camp would be wiped out while the other might escape or might not escape, right? And this is the flaw as we probe deeper into this point. <laughs> Jacob is willing in his fear to allow some of his own kinsmen to die, that others might live. And yeah, that might be a noble thing on one hand. I'll die so that you might live. That's noble. But you didn't need to do that, right? This is the problem. Brothers and sisters, when we start planning without waiting on God, our best plans, as clever as they may be, always fall short of God's perfect provision. Always fall short of God's perfect provision. Now, another clue that Jacob's plans were not of the Lord is the groveling flattery that he uses to try to pacify Esau. Right? He goes far beyond common courtesy. He goes far beyond custom by repeating over and over the phrases, my Lord Esau and, and your servant Jacob. Come on, Jacob. It's, it's more than ironic, is it not? That the man who schemed and manipulated for so long to gain preeminence over his brother is now babbling. You see how things just kind of come full circle with our Lord? My Lord Esau. Oh, 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 your servant Jacob. This babbling as he thinks about meeting Esau face to face out of fear. All his schemes for grabbing power, all his schemes for grabbing, grabbing privilege over Esau have now backfired. And my friends, here is another lesson. If you do not reconcile the relationship that, that has gone bad or a situation that you have mishandled, they will sneak up on you and bite you. This is why we need to be resolved, right, in that reconciliation process. Because if our resolve is not genuine, then we will just slip into that pattern of behavior that allowed us initially to fall into the sin we were trying to get out of, right? Resolve, resolutio is the Latin there. It literally translates to loosen, like you might loosen 
your, your, your belt buckle, right? We talk about New Year's resolutions, and typically our New Year's resolutions are tied to giving up something to eat or drink. Yeah, and that works because we do that so as to loosen our belt buckle. We want to go down a few sizes, if you will. But there is a much deeper spiritual truth. And that deeper spiritual truth is that once you are resolved to change, you will not bind yourself in that tension that, as I've spoken to it already, will not allow you to move forward. All right, so while Jacob is growing in faith, as his prayer reveals, and, and we do want to recognize that, that he, he now is praying, he is still up to his old tricks. He, he's trying to scheme his way out of a tight spot. The problem comes when we don't seek the Lord concerning our plans. And then we rely more on our plans than on the Lord. And I bring this up because, again, I think this brings us back to the discussion of fear. Fear stalls those plans. Fear stalls those actions. So, yeah, I mean, Jacob was praying. He was a man of prayer. But prayer did not form and inform his actions. Prayer did not uh, form and inform, ultimately, God's plan for him because he wasn't open to it. So fear is what uh, stalls God's action in our life, and we have to overcome these fears. You know, we, we use the phrase, <laughs> we're, we're, we're scared to death of this or that. And isn't it interesting because ultimately, often, in our fears, they lead to death. I was reading a story, oh, uh, some weeks ago. It was a story coming out of Cleveland, Ohio. Their coroners examined the hearts of uh, 15 assault victims who died after being attacked, even though their wounds were, were not life-threatening. Uh, Charles Hirsch, one of the researchers, concluded that 11 of the 15 victims had torn fibers and lesions, lesions in their hearts, most likely caused by what? Mortal fear. Mortal fear. They died because of what they feared might happen, but didn't. <laughs> the study suggests that they literally scared themselves to death. That the phrase scared to death is a little more than a, than a casual expression. Isn't that fascinating? I mean, if fear can put a stop to life, think what else it can put a stop to. It can cancel out opportunities that God sets before us. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God opens a door in front of us. And how many of us, when God does open a door in front of us, freeze? We don't walk through. We are afraid of so many things. Jacob was afraid of Esau because of his past with him. There are many things that, that we are afraid of. We are afraid of being alone. We are afraid of, of having no resources. We are afraid of looking foolish when we fail. So what does this all lead to? We want to be in control. Our society values the one who's, who's strong and sure. The one who's strong and in control the one who's strong and, and with a plan. What does Jesus say to all of this and to all of that? Oh, but it is an illusion. 
What do we read in, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 25? With all your worry, with all of your quote-unquote control, you can't add a minute to your lifespan. He says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 30, you can't even count your own hairs. So why add the worry and turn them gray, right? That's not Jesus, God wants you to rely on divine providence. Jesus says to us, say to me, I trust in you. That's the essence, essence of the Sermon on the Mount, by the way. Do not worry. Do not be anxious. Again, in the Greek, that translates as, do not be preoccupied in the end. God reminds us that if we do fail, our failures are a means to what? Salvation. Salvation. Brothers and sisters in Christ, when God promises to be with us, wherever we go, there should be no fear that keeps us from walking through His open doors. Is there an open door that you're afraid, afraid to walk through? Don't be. Trust God. You have nothing to fear with him by your side. Jacob did not trust God. Even after God commanded him to go to Esau, even after he prayed to God, he still didn't trust. He still didn't trust. It is no wonder, my friends, just putting this back into a contemporary context, that we find John Paul II's pontificate Book ended with this theme of do not be afraid. His opening homily was that very phrase. Do not be afraid. Coraggio. Dive into the deep. Trust God. And his last homily on Divine Mercy Sunday, actually given by, I believe it was a Monsignor, the day after he died because he died on the eve of the solemnity of Divine Mercy Sunday, but he had already written his homily. The homily was in essence about the Divine Mercy and his last words in that homily was, say those words, Jesus, I trust in you. So at the beginning of his pontificate, he said, do not be afraid. And at the end of his pontificate, he said, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. And this is the lesson we have before us as we reflect into this fascinating, fascinating psychological encounter between Jacob and his conscience, <laughs> if you will. Hey, you thought I was going to say Jacob and Esau, but really it's an encounter between Jacob and his conscience. And that's always a fascinating encounter because the gap between who we are and our conscience is a fascinating gap to find ourselves in. I was asked recently about fear out of one of these reflections. And someone asked me about convenience or someone made the observation, you know, Joe, I think convenience also has a lot to do with this. And so we were talking about that. And yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that to an extent, right? Because when you look at the word convenience, it's a word when you break it down in the Latin convenire, it's the same word where we get the word uh, contract, by the way, or covenant. It means to come together. So, this is a word that translates as conformity, resemblance, similarity, or, or state or condition of being suitable, adaptation to existing conditions. In essence, in its secular sense, 
that which is harmonious, right? We live in a society, in a culture where everything has become convenient to I, right? We have the iPhones, the iPads, the iPods. We have <laughs> our iDrives where we upload our iTunes onto our iPhones, iPads, and, and iPods, huh? Everything is about the I. Everything is about convenience. Everything is about the drive through Everything is about the I, the I culture. And as much as it is about the I, it is about convenience. And isn't it interesting? A word that translates as agreement, conformity, resemblance, similarity, a word that also has the same root as covenant, is the very thing that Satan appears to be parroting or, or plagiarizing. The Hebrew word shalom for peace means covenant harmony with God. And it is not a coincidence, it is not some concurrence of perceptual events that, that have no origin, that this is what Satan is doing. No, the origin is God and, and Satan is manipulating the very identity of God. And so he takes this word that speaks to everything that belongs to God or how it should belong to God from man to God. Agreement, conformity, resemblance, similarity. We should be in agreement with God. Everything we do should be similar to God. We should be in covenant harmony with God. Satan turns that upside down. And this is so important. And as he does, getting back to the point here, as he does, it leads to the fear. It leads to the fear. Because out from that slothfulness, out from that laziness, out from that overindulgence on the eye, we don't seize the opportunity before us to do what God is calling us to, and we slip into that slavery of fear. We don't want to be challenged, and so we draw back in laziness, and this is what leads us to fear. Okay, now, all of that being said, to prop up a little our, our time together next week on the book of Genesis, in that all-important passage with Jacob, what we must understand going in to that reflection and reflections is that this is an episode that has as its prelude Jacob's fear and what we've been talking about. Amen? Amen. All right, let us close with a word of prayer. All glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen, and God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 5.30 here on KKXX. If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.